0: You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, how are we doing, friends? All right. Staying afloat? Happy Sunday? Hey, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, Well, I thought it would be fun to... uh, talk about the biblical idea of faith this morning. Um, I'm a big Bible guy. I like the Bible. I study the Bible. Um, I find a lot of life in the Word of God, and so uh, it's something I tend to do as a hobby, and every once in a while, I do it (laughs) semi-professionally. I'm an amateur tattoo artist and a semi-professional biblical scholar, Okay, I'm neither of those things, actually. But it sounds good on paper. That's what my card's going to say. Um, so if you do have your Bibles and you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we'll be jumping in there. I'm going to be in my NIV version this morning. Um, so I'll, I'll read this real quick, and then we'll jump into some stuff. So uh, Hebrews chapter 11, just starting at 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance is about we, what we do not see. Very simple idea. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. All right, I'm going to pray over this room if that's all right with y'all. Um, Father, I'm just asking that you would stir us up, that you would, uh, you would pull the veil back uh, on our minds and our understandings and our hearts, that we would be uh, open to your word and what you have for us, Father, so Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would do work right now, in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. 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 Um, one of the things that's fascinating about studying the Bible and to, to understand it and some, sometimes understand where we're at is to understand that we are, in many ways, in like kind of like a post-Christian era, you know, our, our faith, the Christian faith is 2,000 years old, over 2,000 years old, and so... So we have 2,000 years of Christian history that's woven into our modern understanding. And uh, as history continues to roll out and the world changes, philosophies change, uh, interpretations of the Bible change, languages change, and and sometimes all of that gets woven into uh to our modern-day understanding about the Bible, um, you know something. Something I like to remind people. Uh, you know, so I uh, I had the privilege of teaching at a Bible college for for, for a couple years, and I uh, I taught a specific course on cultural studies in the Second Temple period. But then I also taught people who want to teach the Bible. Uh, so these were people who. They, they, they were in, this was a third year of Bible college, and they were hoping to take what they were learning and actually give it away to people. And um, there was lots of different tools I like to remind students of, but one of the things was that uh, language is not defined on etymology. Language is defined by uh, the author's intent or use. Uh, so a great example of that is like, imagine it this way. Uh, so I like the beach a lot, and I like taking my kids to the beach, and we like to surf. And so let's just say I take my kids on a surfing trip, and my friends ask me how it wor- was, or maybe I write a text to my friends. Man, we went surfing. It was super cool. Well, that means something to me, and that means something to my friend. Well, you could maybe preserve that text on some tablet or maybe on a piece of paper for a thousand years and dig it up and read it to someone and interpreted a lot of different ways and and one of the things that people do is they pull out the etymology So that means they like we went surfing and it was cool Well to be cool means to be cold and so it sounds like they Went to the water and it was very cold and he had to tell his friend about how cold it was And then now let's make up all sorts of things based off the temperature of the water Yeah, and that's not what I intended that's, that's how all language works, and so language changes at times and gets, uh, gets redefined, and so sometimes the issue with the Bible isn't that people necessarily, like, purposely misunderstand. It's that sometimes we approach it with our modern-day etymology and don't really attempt to listen to what the reader was saying, you know, like we kind of bring in our modern philosophy, my worldview, what I've experienced in life a lot of times what I haven't experienced in life. And then we lay that as a framework over the Word of God. And so uh, one of the things that's really inter- interesting in our common history when it, to, when it comes to faith is around the 17th and 8th, 18th century, uh, a new philosophy started to emerge in the world that the world had literally never seen before. And that philosophy is what we now call atheism which that there is no deity, there is no God, there is no creator. Um, when the author of Hebrews wrote this, when Jesus walked the earth, uh, uh, literally for the first 1800 years of the Christian faith, atheism did not exist, or especially as we understand it now. This is a new idea. So when Jesus is going around uh, proclaiming the gospel, when he's, Uh, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers. He's not setting out an argument to prove to people that God exists. People knew that God existed. Actually, most people had experiences of multiple spirits and multiple gods. And so sometimes even what we see in the Bible is is the Lord pulling away from paganism and towards the true God, the true living God. Um, And so... Anyway, so this is a newer idea, this is a newer concept, a newer philosophy uh, in the human condition and in the human psychology and in our experience of the world. And so now that filters into Christianity. And so I remember you know, reading this for the first time as a young Christian and, and, and being told I need to have faith. You know, Jesus says some really powerful things, like if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can cast a mountain into the ocean you know and you're like wow that's not very much faith that's like a very very small amount of faith that's really encouraging I don't have to have a whole lot of faith and I can do some very powerful things but where my brain starts to filter that is well what is faith faith is that I believe that God exists and so I'm kind of doing my best to make it into heaven right I believe that God exists, or maybe I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and so I'm going to jump through whatever hoops my current congregation tells me I need to jump through in order to make it into heaven, because, well, that's what I wanted, right? That's why I'm here. Uh, Or maybe, uh, maybe faith for someone is, I believe in a God, and I believe that Jesus is his son, and so I want to have a decent life, and so I'm going to attempt to do a couple things in order to achieve that goal. But it's so fascinating because so many people I've talked to, what faith really comes narrowed down to is a is a belief in God. And that's not a bad starting point. That's not a bad starting point at all. I think that's a great starting point and especially faced with uh, so many of the things that we're faced with in life, it's a, it's a great starting point. And the truth is, is that atheism is a common belief now, and and rationalism is the thought of the day, and the the ruling uh, the ruling philosophy of the day. And so we can look at the world around us, and we we rationalize it. We try to come up with categories and taxonomies and all this stuff, where we're like, I want to understand how my world works because if I can control it, then I'm safe, and I like being safe. The more safe I could be, the better I feel. And so I like to put things into categories, I like to understand, I like that there's other people out there whose professions are, you know, kind of dissecting the world around me and understanding how it works so that we can have as much control as possible and be as safe as possible and it feels really good and I get it, we've all been there. So, but when you focus in on that stuff, the material world becomes the only world. And so faith then is like, well, this is my reality And the Lord is like a, yeah, I've got faith the size of a mustard seed. Sure, I believe that there's a God and he exists and Jesus is his son. And that's an awesome starting point. But if we were to put ourselves into the first century, if we were to put ourselves into uh, the immediate audience here of, you know, this letter written to the Hebrews, um, well, demons believe that God exists. And they know that Jesus is his son. Uh, They believe that he can heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and do all sorts of crazy things. Demons know he can walk on water. Demons know he can cast them out. But they're not told they have faith at all. They, They believe that God exists. But that's not considered faith. I don't say that to tear you down. I say that to like, okay, what's being said here? What's being said here? The demonic understand that God exists. Well, if if that's not the starting place of faith, what is then? What is what is the seedbed of faith? What is what is the starting place of faith? Because if if all I'm doing is debating with rationalists, or debating with myself, or trying to debate with you know. things that I've read online or what I've received in education or from my friends or what the world around me that says, well, I'm, you know, maybe I'm agnostic or I don't really believe in a God or I kind of think you're crazy that you do the whole church thing. And so, you know, whatever. And you're just like, well, I'm trying to like build myself up in my faith because mostly I feel embarrassed that there's these people that think I'm crazy for believing in something. And so how do I hold myself down? And and so, so to push oneself towards the Lord is, is always the best idea. But I want to encourage you guys that there's more available to you. The Word of God is saying that there's more available to us. See, what's written here to, to really the, the entire state of Israel at the time is that they were living under Roman persecution. They are also dispersed everywhere. They're also living in, so many of them were living in what they considered to be exile um, because, well, the presence of God had left at the destruction of the temple and hadn't come back. And so now these people are under constant Roman persecution. And they live in a world, uh, they live in a world that most of us wouldn't understand today. Most people, most Christians, I think, Uh, because we have an eschatology, believe that the world is in the worst spot that it's ever been. Uh, When you actually understand history, we're probably in the best spot we've ever been, historically speaking. Um, The Roman world and their occupation of Israel was extremely cruel and brutal and violent and disgusting. Um, For example, when Jesus says, uh, when Jesus says, if someone forces you to walk a mile, walk two, he's talking about Roman garrisons. Because the idea was, if you're a Roman soldier, anything that's occupied by Rome, if you wanted to, if you're a Roman soldier, you're walking through, you, you have all your gear, you can just pick anyone out, Roman citizen or not, and most people were not Roman citizens, even though they're conquered by Rome, and I can just say, you have to carry my gear for a mile. Why? Because law says so. And if you don't, I get to do terrible things to you. But also, you're not a citizen, so I get to do terrible things to you anyway hurt you, rape you, abuse you, do whatever I want. There's no protection. And this is the cloud that surrounds Israel. And so you can understand that this is also the philosophy that crucified Jesus. And as his disciples are raising up, they're not living in a free Christian nation where they can profess their faith and everything's okay. They're living in a nation where they're being hunted down and killed by all sides, uh, including their fellow Jews. And it's a very ugly time, and the author of Hebrews is trying to let them know, hey, I understand the state of the world, but if you will hold on to your faith, things can shift. Because even though what we see on a daily basis is violence, even though what we see on a daily basis is persecution, even though what we see are these ugly things going around on around us, that is our present like, scope of life. That's what I see on a daily basis. That doesn't mean that that has to be the reality. What do I mean by that? Paul's imprisoned, for example. Read the New Testament. Paul's imprisoned. What happens? The church prays. Prison doors open, there's angels there, guards repent. See, the materialist view says that would never happen, that's foolish, that's crazy. If you get locked in prison, like, man, sorry Paul, guess we better, you know, start writing your biography now. You're a really nice guy, thanks for everything you gave us. It was really nice knowing you, it's all over from here. That's the materialist view. That's the rationalist view. It's not a a bad view based on what we see around us. What Jesus invited his disciples into, though, was just because that's what you see, that does not have to be the reality because the kingdom of heaven is greater. It, It actually, God Himself speaks things into existence, He can shift creation with His words the Son himself can speak to the world and reshape it and recreate it. And it's so fascinating because this, in many ways, is kind of the message and crux of the New Testament, and especially as the New Testament goes away from the Gospels and starts pointing into uh, the letters that go out to the churches, is that just because you see things around you doesn't mean that the Lord isn't in charge. And so much of Jesus' ministry was helping to bring people back to the Garden of Eden, back to the original commission, which is God is in control. He's fully in control. But in his love and in his power and in the truth of who he is and his own divine decision, he looked at humanity and said, I'm fully in control, but I want to give power to you. Go, subdue the earth. Be fruitful, multiply. Multiply subdue the earth, take what's in the garden, take it to the rest of the planet, make the planet look like the garden. That was the charge for humanity. Jesus comes, he's the new Adam, does the same thing. Hey, I'm going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. Now you, how does he train his disciples? Does he do Bible studies for years? No. He rallies these guys around him and says, here, I've got the goods, I'm giving it to you, go do this stuff. He doesn't say pray for the sick, he doesn't say pray for the lepers, he doesn't say pray for the demonic, he says just do it. I know that's challenging, but that is what he says. And then after he says, and they do, now he starts teaching them. Because discipleship is do what I do, so you model what I do, now I will give you the philosophy on how it works, and now you master it. Comprehension, articulation, mastery. Comprehension, articulation, mastery. This is how this was Jesus's style in teaching, and it's a very good teaching style. But he's teaching his disciples to do this, and then at the end, he's crucified, he's resurrected, and says, What? Hey, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now I'm sending you. Go take this message to the entire planet, to all the nations. Right, Go make disciples of nations, people. What did disciples do? Mimic Jesus. Just what his disciples were doing. Take what I just did with you and do it with these other people. Take what I just did with you and do it with these other people. And this whole idea is that the commission doesn't stop. The commission didn't stop. Just because there was a fall in Eden doesn't change who we are, who the Lord designed us to be, and uh, what our vocation is. It doesn't, it doesn't say, hey, Adam and Eve fell, so sorry, now just stick your heads in the sand and wait for rapture. You know? <laughs> that, that, that's not the commission. Jesus fixed what, was, what happened in the garden, and that was to pull us back to the great commission. I say that, though, to say... Um, When it comes to faith, Jesus told his disciples and demonstrated things to his disciples that seem unworldly, you know? Like, I don't know about you guys, I've never changed water into wine or wine back into water. (laughs) Uh, When Jesus was walking on the water, he invited peter out of the boat like he invited peter into the experience like i told you guys i really like surfing i do that with my kids a lot we like the water i've stepped in never on water <laughs> i've fallen through have not walked across it my reality my 42 years of living you know in in 42 years i have never walked across water So my reality says that's not what water does. Water is very wet, it's very liquid, it's very malleable, and it does not hold up people very well unless you have a surfboard or a lot of buoyancy to you, you know? That is my reality as I see it. But Jesus invited Peter into something different. Um... It's so funny because I, my early Christian years, I was really, I didn't know what to do with like the strange stuff of the New Testament. I call it strange, which is like, (laughs) you know, like you read through and you're like, oh, Jesus told his disciples to heal the sick. Oh, that's really cool. And then you read past it. And then like you read later where he's he's like, oh, like, okay, now all of you guys go pray for the sick. And you're like, ah, really? What does that mean? You know, or like maybe the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost and people start speaking in tongues. You're like, this is very strange. And then that happens with Cornelius. And then it happens, you know, Paul's now addressing Corinth and other people where it's like, there's all this, why are people speaking in tongues? What does this have to do with me going to heaven? People, Like, please, I don't understand. And so the best thing to do with it is just, let's just ignore it and push it way, way down and never bring it up again because it has nothing to do with salvation. So who needs any of that weird stuff, right? Because it's super weird. Um, but also, I, I'm attempting to be a disciple of Christ, and, and I value the word of God. And so even though I wanted to, to ignore it for a season, I eventually came to this place where I had to confront it. What am I going to do with this stuff? Because he's either Lord or he's not. He's either true or he's not. The Bible's either true or it's not. If I'm just going to pick and choose like, pieces of it and be like, this is truth, and then the rest of it, that's kind of weird, and let's just skirt that under the table and pretend it doesn't exist, I realize that he's not God, I am. What do I mean by that is I'm more interested in being right so that I know I can be in control and that's how I find peace and comfort in my salvation. To come to terms of like to come to the to come to terms with the idea that I'm actually not God, I cannot be in control, and I'm going to be wrong at times. Really forces you to examine your heart and your faith and go, is he actually Lord of my life? Or am I just saying he is because I put his name on my control, you know? I'm going to be in control and call it Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you provided for me after I worked so hard. And so I had to wrestle through this stuff. Um, And so I I actually, I, I eventually hit this season where I started to uh, as I continue to study the Bible more and more and study church history, that it's like this stuff didn't stop with the New Testament. You know, I, I talked about the Roman persecution of Israel. Well, anyone who knows a little bit of history understands, well, eventually Rome became a Christian empire. They were so successful at snuffing out any religion in any country they'd come against ever. Every single time, they were so good, they were skilled at it, they were craftsmen at reshaping culture. It worked time and time again. And after the death and resurrection of Jesus, this little, tiny, small group of people started rising to the surface called Christians. And Rome attempted to snuff them out too. And they killed a lot of them and they persecuted them. But just because that was the reality in the sense of the material doesn't mean it was the reality in the sense of the kingdom of heaven. They were persecuting Christians and Christians still prayed. And what happened was the greatest empire that the world has ever seen flipped. It turned itself over to the Lord, which is really fascinating. They had all the military strength, all the money, they had everything. Numbers, power, everything you can think of. And in the end, they gave themselves over to the minority. Why? Because the minority walked in the truth. The material world is not power, it's not absolute truth. It's held together by the Lord's voice and who He is. And if He wants to speak something different, He will. And if He invites us to speak something different, we should. And so I'm wrestling through these things, and I'm looking at it and realizing, man, dis- despite my experience, things have shifted in the world because of the body of Christ and what the Lord has done through believers. And what am I going to do with this? And so I eventually started to confront it within myself. It's like, why am I so opposed to this? Why am I so afraid of this? Um, and so me and a small group of friends, we, st- we attempted to pursue the supernatural in the sense that, like, what would it look like to actually pray for sick people, for example? What would it look like to uh, actually attempt to hear the Lord's voice? You know, these are biblical concepts, and what if we went after this stuff? And what was amazing, and we saw some really powerful fruit. We saw some really cool miracles. Uh, We saw a lot of people encounter the Lord in a very deep way, and most important, we saw people's lives transformed because, well, when he speaks to you, you usually change. And, and it was very, very, very powerful. And so it's so funny because, you know, now, you know, one of my current jobs is I work in the medical industry. And I don't know how many of you guys work in the medical industry, but it's so fascinating because, you know, I've, we have this group of people that have pursued the things of the Bible um, And now I work in an industry where my reality on a daily basis is that people get sick. And the only way you make people better is by giving them something, you know? It's it's a very fascinating place to live in. Uh, But luckily, the, the doctor that I work for, she's been a Christian for a long time. And she prays for people a lot and sees people healed and some super powerful things. My point is just to be honest with you guys, in my own my own process of working through the word of God because the Bible says faith is being confident in what we hope for and assurance about the things that we do not see, the things I don't see. And so this is what was so fascinating. when I, So I came to this moment where I decided I'm going to try and pray for people. But the Bible says faith is being confident in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see and this is where all the truth of my actual inner being came to the surface because if we're just going to debate on do i believe that a god exists well sure and there's it's it's hard to be confronted on like that reality you know how much can you measure that when you have to lay hands on someone in front of you and really go do i actually believe this is going to happen Am I actually confident? Am I assured that this is going to happen? And be honest with yourself. It's very confronting, you know? Because you're just like, actually, no, I'm not very confident at all. And sometimes it comes out in our prayers, kind of like begging him, if you would just listen and maybe do this, this person would be touched. And it doesn't just have to be with healing. It's all sorts of things. Financial issues, family issues, jobs the nation, turmoil, pain, hurt, that we go to the Lord and say, I'm going to pray about this thing. The Bible says if I have faith of a mustard seed, I can cast a mountain into the sea. Okay, well, I think faith is just that I believe that Jesus is actually alive and he was resurrected, and that's a great starting point. But when it comes to these other areas of my walk, I realize My confidence is actually in the reality that I see, not in who he is. Because if I'm actually going to pray for your job, for example, do I actually believe you're going to get it? Do I actually believe you're going to get the raise? Do I actually believe you're going to get the breakthrough? Or am I mostly convinced that it's not going to happen, and so I'm just trying to be obedient and ask the Lord to do it anyway? But actually, in my heart of hearts, the truth is, I don't think it's going to happen, man. And it's fascinating because in working through this stuff and working through it with people, people get so offended by that concept. Well, are you saying my aunt didn't get healed because I didn't have enough faith? No, and maybe. I have no idea. I don't understand those inner workings. I don't know. That's not the question. The question is, when I go to minister to the world around me, what is my belief system actually telling me? am I showing up with confidence like hey i actually believe this is the lord's will i truly believe that this is going to happen i am actually confident i'm sure in what in, in what i'm about to do and if the answer is no that's okay it's better to be honest than be a liar you know like there's no there's no point to lie it's not to get down on ourselves it's the, the point of the Bible and the word of God is to call us into him and who we're supposed to be. And so when I read this scripture and go, man, I know there's been so many times that I have not, I'm not walking in confidence, I'm not walking in assurance. It's not to look at myself and say I'm a bad Christian or look at anybody else and say they're a bad Christian. It's to read this and say, this is what's available to you. And Jesus is inviting you into something Jesus invited Peter out of the boat. Jesus invited his disciples to walk with him. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son—the father's inviting them into something. He's inviting us always into deeper relationship with Him, and He's and He's inviting us to a process where we get to we get to renew our minds. I get to renew my mind. I have the option whether I look at people and say, hey, I know I've been fully convinced that it won't happen, but the Lord's inviting me into a place where what if, I, what if I actually dare to believe that he's king and he's on the throne, and then when he tells me to do something, it's going to happen. What if I dared to believe that? And this is the other side of faith. I'm going to wrap it up in just a few minutes here because I know we're uh, I'm burning time, guys. The other side of faith, though, is faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And if you continue reading this passage, this is what it gets into. It's being confident in what I hope for, assurance of the things that I do not see, but it's also faithfulness and the sense of obedience. So when Jesus sends his disciples out to do really wild, miraculous stuff, Part of it was to invite them into the reality of who He is and how the kingdom can work on earth as it is in heaven, and another part was to invite them into the obedience of walking in His authority. Because, for any of you who have ever ministered to anybody, praying whether you're praying for the sick or wanting someone to meet Jesus, it's usually the same process. I've prayed for lots of people to get healed. The majority of them don't. I have the option, though. Do I allow what I don't see to define my faith, or do I allow his word to define my faith? It's the same when I invite people to know him. I don't know if you guys have ever preached the gospel to anybody. I was in a band, and we preached the gospel Night, like every night in front of hundreds of people, 30 nights in a row, multiple months throughout the years, year after year. I mean, we literally preach the gospel to tens of thousands of people, probably hundreds of thousands of people we preach the gospel to. Sometimes on a daily basis, day after day, for 30 days straight. Out of the 100,000 people, you know, we preach the gospel to, Maybe we got to minister to 50. But just because I minister to 50 doesn't mean I give up. Doesn't mean I stop. I don't go, well, the majority say no, so let's stop preaching the gospel. The majority of people I pray for don't get healed, so let's stop praying. I don't allow the circumstance to define my belief system. This is where he becomes Lord, not the world around me. And this is the invitation, friends. Worship team, you guys can come up. and I'll I'll, I'll wrap this up. This is the invitation. The the faithfulness side of faith is that he invites us into something and we dare to believe that he's true, even if it's outside my realm of understanding. And that's where I actually have that's where I'm actually able to like rely on his grace to press into something that's deeper beyond me, that's outside of my control. That's where he gets to be God, and I get to be a person because he's in control and I'm not. It's where our faith actually becomes a faith. Not just a set of variables that I control and hope that I'm going to make it into heaven. But the invitation is always there. He's always inviting us into something deeper. Because it's those who dare to believe that actually change the world and bring the kingdom. The Bible says it's the By faith that we are saved. By faith that people are healed. It's by faith that Moses led Israel. It's by faith that Abraham was able to to pursue the promises of God. It's by faith. The Bible is full of stories where the Lord encountered the planet through human agency And how he did that through human agency was by the mechanism of faith. The daring to believe that he is truer than the circumstance and daring to believe to such a degree that I'm willing to step onto that even though it looks like I'm going to fall through. That's the invitation. That's what he's always inviting us to. And so now we have the opportunity to inspect our internal world, our belief system and say, this is what I believe. And now that I understand what I believe, what do I want to do with it? You can stick with it. You can change it. It's up to you. But the opportunity is there. So stand up for me and we'll pray. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.